0: One day I hope I get to do an audio book.
1: Do you have the book in front of you? Oh yeah, oh, the, totally. You can do practice, you want, actually, can clear call. throat, get your like channel, your inner audible author. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nina right. Porzuki and you're listening to The World in Words. Today on the podcast, a book about aliens.
0: In comes the spaceship carrying the night. Whoosh, wobble wobble, screech, vroom. The spaceship lands, the aliens pile out. Please find out about the Earth creatures, says the first alien. Humans, says the second alien, pointing to a bird.
1: This is yes. Johnny Sun.
0: So you're leaving me here all alone, asks Jomney. Well, says the fifth alien, we'll check up on you in case you mess anything up. Okay.
1: He's a writer and illustrator and...
0: Um, person from Twitter and the author of the new book, Everyone's an Alien When You're an Alien Too.
1: Sun is also a rogue speller, a grammar adventurer. Disregarding rules and norms, his book is riddled with purposeful misspellings. Take the very spelling of his main character, the alien, spelled...
0: A-L-I-E-B-N. A-L-I-E-B-N.
1: <laughs> A-L-I-E-B-N. <laughs> so I read his book over the summer, and it's one of those books that you just want to hold and make a part of you. It's kind of amazing. And I don't really know how to describe it, so that's why I have dragged my colleague... And fellow Johnny Sun fangirl Sophie Chow into the studio to geek out about this book with me. Hey, Sophie. Hi, Nina. Hey, you're also writing a piece about Sun's grammar for PRI.org. Mm-hmm. So, Sophie, how would you describe this book and this plot?
2: Yeah, it's about an alien who also is named Johnny Sun, who is sent to Earth to try to figure out what Earth is and what humans are all about. But along the way, he ends up talking to a lot of animals and trees, which he mistakenly Johnnie thinks are humans.
0: Okay. Jomney encounters a snail. Tell me about yourself, shouts Johnny. Oh, gee, says the snail. Um, well, nobody's ever asked me about myself, but, um, well, I guess everybody tells me that I'm too small and too slow to make a difference in this world. But I'm making a difference in my own world, and I hope that is enough.
2: Says the, the characters are all really cute and drawn in these simple black lines, but they discuss things that are really deep and existential. Um, and that's why I call it a children's book for adults, even though I'm sure kids can read it too.
1: Yeah, the topics range from who am I, who am I in this world, depression. I mean, it runs the whole gamut. <laughs> like there's an egg that doesn't know what it's going to be and has this sort of whole existential crisis.
2: Yeah, I relate to
1: that egg. <laughs> <laughs> what drew me to the story, personally, and why I wanted to speak with Sun is because of the way he actually described his character, this alien, alien Jomni Sun. He described it as, quote, an alien confused about human language.
0: I intentionally said human language instead of the English language. The character was always supposed to be like an outsider. For me, human language is more about emotion and experiences. And the typos are like the aesthetic way of like signifying outsider this entity that's outside of humanity, outside of humans.
1: Johnny Sun first started playing with this outsider character, Jomney, the alien, or the alien, and typos on Twitter. You follow him, Sophie, right?
2: Yeah, I've been following him for a while. His Twitter account is really, really popular. It has something like half a million followers. Jeez. And he has some celebrity fans like Lynn Manuel Miranda. Um, And I really love that he is internet famous for just writing adorable and funny, relatable tweets. Because the internet just gets really dark fast, especially Twitter. So it's kind of the internet famous I want to be. Just wonderfully pure.
1: So one of my favorites from the last, I was going over his Twitter feed the other day, and I was trying (laughs) to find like, okay, what's an essential Johnny Sun tweet? And one of the ones I found was, I'm exactly average looking enough that if I wear nice clothes, I'll look nice. But if I wear anything ironic, I'll look like I don't know it's ironic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's such a relatable (laughs) problem.
1: (laughs) He wasn't always, though, this Twitter internet darling.
0: I had a Twitter account just like I think everyone else. um, And I started mine in like 2007 or 2008, but it was just a personal account. It just kind of came out. It was like the cool new thing. and all my friends we'd all graduated high school and we were trying to use Twitter to like keep in touch while we all went away to university. Well, so for like four years of just having that personal account is just like stuff like I'm seeing a movie tonight or just had a sandwich. Um just very normal stuff. Mundane. But as I was Exactly, yeah, but as I was on Twitter, I was always interested in following comedians and had followed the famous celebrity type comedians and the joke tweets that they did were basically just, like, stand-up jokes that they, like, transcribed to Twitter, which was fine, but it didn't really, like, do anything when you translated that type of joke into a text-based social media environment. Right. And then, like, at some point, um, I, like, stumbled onto this community of other comedy people. Um, people have labeled it, like, quote, quote, weird Twitter, unquote, unquote, and I always have to do the quotes because no one actually calls it that, or there's like this very strange relationship with that label or any label at all, but I stumbled upon that when it was just flourishing, and that was totally different, that was like a group of anonymous accounts, Um, no one had their real identities or their real faces, and so it was just all these like anonymous cartoons making silly jokes and having fun and like finding this community of other people to tell dumb jokes to. They were really interesting because they were actually using Twitter as a form and as an aesthetic, playing with typos and playing with different formatting of the tweets and the jokes, really taking advantage of the medium.
1: It was a native comedy versus the comedians who were just sort of putting out a joke that they might say in their stand-up. This was comedy crafted within Twitter, for Twitter, by Twitter almost.
0: One of my favorite tweets from that time period was um, someone wrote like, I don't think we're using Twitter the way they intended it. (laughs) Um, which was totally true. There was something totally subversive about understanding the rules of Twitter, which was like short statements. Everything was like properly formatted and very like carefully, almost like constructed to send these updates to people. And they just took that idea and totally broke it down. They weren't using it to send updates. They were using it to tell jokes and they took what existed of the understanding of Twitter and just like started subverting it. It was so fascinating because it was on this platform, but it was also... Picking apart the norms of the platform, and it was super exciting and fresh and um, strange and and weird and funny.
1: What was the first tweet that you um, sent out as the character?
0: Oh man, I don't even. Do you remember? I can't that? even like it, it. Yeah, I mean, it was. It kind of was like this slow, strange progression for a while. My account had my face, my real face, and. I was trying to tell jokes anyway and write comedy, but I was tweeting out puns and then also hashtagging it like pun or like (laughs) hashtag humor, hashtag comedy. And like, I didn't know any better. Like, I had no idea what to do. But then when I stumbled upon this group, I was like, oh, this is a fresh and like cool way to write comedy. Realizing that you could use these different formats and, and typos and all this stuff to create a different voice. One of my first tweet jokes in that style that became popular was, it was something like, I taught my parrot to say the word parrot, which is pretty much the same as owning a Pokemon. Okay, Sophie, I think we have to explain this one.
2: Well, as every 90s kid knows, right. um, Pokemon are these magical creatures that you can battle with, and they do all these special moves, but somehow, despite all their magic, they can only say their own name. <laughs> which made sense to me as a kid, but doesn't now. Um, so a Pikachu can only say Pikachu! Pika.
0: Um and <laughs> yeah. I, I was pretty proud of that and it, it was kind of um just silly and strange and it kind of like got some attention and it, it was this cool feeling of this is interesting to me and it's also kind of of the moment or of the, the zeitgeist i think that was like the genesis of it
1: so i know that you're constantly still experimenting with typos and grammar and dropping letters, adding letters, that sort of thing. In the beginning when you were figuring out your style, how much can you disrupt grammar and retain meaning at the same time? What is the edge that you're working up against?
0: Yeah, a lot of people I looked up to who were tweeting this way were already like just taking apart things. They were doing typos, they were changing grammatical things, um, messing with syntax and just like creating strange voices using grammar and, like, syntax and spelling as as a tool, right? So my, like, original intention was really to see how much you could disrupt the sentence or the statement while retaining the meaning. Like, how many extra letters or extra punctuation marks could you put in but still have people understand the joke? And that was inspired by, like, the weird Twitter stuff, but it was also inspired by, like, there was this viral, um, like, science, pseudoscience thing That was going around where it it was kind of like a chain email i think at that point forward from like all my friends you could still read a word as long as like the first letter and the last letter were in the right place and all the other letters in the word could be jumbled in between those letters but as long as you had like those first and last ones in place you could still read that sentence it's totally true you should try it out you should take like any statement or any sentence and like just type it out and then just mix up all the in between letters and you, your brain will still like skim through all of it and read it. And it'll still make like perfect sense.
1: So were you using that technique in some of the tweets?
0: Yeah, it kind of gave me permission to see that, and then also to see like what the comedians on Twitter were doing. Both of those gave me permission to kind of be like, well, let's see how far you can push this. And let's see if you could use that as a tool. And like, internet humor has such a long history with typos and subverting proper English syntax and all that stuff. That was the start of it. It was kind of like, well, how much can you can you mess up and how much can you play with um, and still have people not read this as like total gibberish?
2: So, Sophie, what are some of your favorite
0: Jomni
1: tweets?
2: Oh, man, there are so many good ones. um, But I think the best, most touching one for me is this one about a bouncy castle. And it goes, look, life is bad. Everyone's sad. We're all going to die. But I already bought this inflatable bouncy castle, so are you going to take your shoes off or what?
1: (laughs) So beautiful and dark and not dark.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just love that because it's kind of whenever I'm having a bad day, I just like say this to my friends, like, look, everything's bad because you're not trying to sugarcoat it, but, you know, still go on the bouncy castle. Right. We already got it. I already bought it.
1: sitting out in the back. Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. But you can see a lot from actually the grammar
2: that um, Johnny uses in this tweet. So first, it's all lowercase, and he spells bouncy B-O-U-M-C-Y instead of B-O-U-N-C-Y. And that's a really typical Johnny's son spelling, where he uses M instead of N. Why do you think he does that? What's that all about? Well, being uh, a great nerd, I talked to an internet linguist, Gretchen McCulloch, and she also noticed that Johnny does this a lot. And she says that it's not only because the letters are close together on a keyboard, but there's also something really special replacing N with B, like in alien, or M, like in bouncy. That's because the letters, you pronounce them by putting your lips together. And that's known as a bilabial stop in linguistics. And some of those sounds, they're the first sounds that babies make. Baba, mama, yeah. like all those kinds of sounds. Yeah, they're easy to pronounce. So there's like something inherently cute in them, even if we don't realize it.
1: And, and familiar, I would assume, too. Like those are the, some of the first sounds that we make as humans across like Every culture
2: says baba, mama.
0: Support for the World in Words comes from Babel and Tina Toby, our engineer. You're here with, I hope, an update about your daughter Maddie's Spanish (laughs) learning.
1: Her progress. We were out and about last weekend, and I I was talking to Maddie about what Spanish she's learned from Babel.
0: Uno, dos, tres, cuatro,
2: cinco, seis. Do you know any more? No. Do you remember the word for hello? Hola. Do you remember the word for good night?
0: (laughs) No. Sounds like she needs prompting.
1: A little bit of prompting, as most kids do at this age, but she seems to be really enjoying it. Do you enjoy learning Spanish? Yes. What's your favorite part about learning Spanish? Cuatro Cinco.
0: Right. Cuatro Cinco. That's that's about as far as I can go, too.
1: (laughs) We'll keep practicing. Maybe we can get her up to 10 or 11.
0: So, more Bible lessons for her? Every day. If you're interested in Babbel lessons, you can get three months of Babbel free when you sign up for three months. Go to babbel.com slash world and use offer code world.
1: I want to talk a little bit about the book, translating a world of Twitter to Mm -hmm. a book format and maintaining the character and maintaining the voice and maintaining that sense of play you had to explain your style or come up with your style guide. And so I understand you had an actual style guide that you had to put together for your editor.
0: That's right. My editor actually is on Twitter and kind of knew me and understood what I was doing, which was really great. But at the same time, um, the problem with doing a book and a manuscript with intentional typos is it's much more difficult to see when something is an unintentional typo and like a real typo as opposed to um, an intentional thing that you're trying to play with. Uh, So to kind of get around that, I I did come up with like a style guide that was the first time I really tried to put into rules the different ways I was enjoying playing with language. I have some of them here in front of me, but... um, Oh, goody. Can you share a uh, little bit of them? Yeah, totally. The idea of it is the clumsy fat fingers phenomenon, um, which like also came with just like phones and the adjacencies of different letters. So like a lot of typos I noticed on Twitter and on social media, were letters that were near other letters. And so and those were the types of typos. So, like, my favorite ones are, if you look at the letter N, that's such a common letter in the English language and also common in the not-so-important parts of the words. So, like, the I-N-G word endings. The N was a letter that you could play with because if you're reading a verb, like walking or talking, by the time you get to the I-N-G part, you already know what that word is and you know what that means, Right. So if you replace the N with an adjacent letter, either an M or like a B, you still get the idea. And because I think you're aware that on the keyboard those letters are next to each other, there's um, this like forgiveness. I know how that typo was made.
1: It also cursed me in my own head because I think a lot of times I read it and I read it with this... As if the alien has a cold. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, blah, blah, and like there's like some kind of like sound, N and the M and the B that have a similar kind of nasally thing that I yeah. hear in my head. I don't know if that's intentional or that's just how I hear it, like that kind of mistake. I can almost hear sort of like this cute stuffed up alien
0: (laughs) totally I mean like I, I should like pull a keyboard out but I think the reason why that one was so exciting was exactly that too is um the m and the n and the b it's kind of dumb luck that those are all grouped together and they all kind of have similar sounds and then the cool thing is like if m and b and n are all like kind of in the same mouth sound family n is way more of a common letter than m or b when you like throw in an M or a B, it's like this strange thing because you're not primed to seeing those letters as much, so it creates like this weird disruption in the way you read it, and it so it makes you slow down as as well.
1: I noticed that you use U for U instead of Y O U a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, my editor and I talked about that a lot because a lot of those types of shortenings and shorthands are just common internet speak or common text convention. And I wrote an item in this style guide to not use internet shorthand too much. Don't use like IDK for I don't know or don't use like BC for because because I both wanted the language in the book to be strange and different and also not not too much like internet speak. I right. wanted it to be my own strange unique style or, or voice and I didn't want to borrow too much from meme speak or like lol speak or other existing internet conventions.
1: This language, there's something almost cute about it. Cute is the right word, but it's like soft or um, cozy or cuddly or fuzzy. I, d- I don't know, like name and adjectives like along those lines, but I-, I found it feels really cute. But that's not to undermine the fact that the character is also making some pretty astute observations about yeah. life and the world and, you know, all the different animals that he or she is meeting along the way or alien is meeting along the way. Okay. I wonder if you've thought a lot about the power of cuteness or the power of these hypos. Why is the cute so powerful?
0: I've totally thought a lot about that. It's related to how I think of comedy and humor in general. Anything that you can get to like get people initially on your side, if you can make them laugh or if you can be like, oh, this is adorable or cute in a certain way, if you can wean that small connection with that person, then it opens the door and lets you talk about more emotional things. Those are both such great tools to get somebody willing to listen. And then you can talk about more serious issues like mental health, which I talk about a lot in the book, like depression and anxiety and loneliness. um, Yeah, exactly. Like If you can wrap that up in a joke or tell that through cuteness or this aesthetic, it's a way in to having a conversation about it. As a kid, I was like a huge grammar nerd. Like I loved, I loved grammar, I loved learning all the rules. I was so invested in kind of like in knowing those rules in like the I before E except after C, or um, like structuring essays for way too long. I thought an essay had to be an introductory paragraph and then three argument paragraphs and then a conclusion. Um, (laughs) Of course. Because like that was like the way that they taught us how to write essays in elementary The other fun thing was, um, I think the first time I came across, like, The Elements of Style by Strunk and White, to me that was, I, like, went through that and I treated it like the Bible. Um, English is my first language, but it was for, I think I just got obsessed with it because I was the first generation in my family where English was the first language. Like, my parents were immigrants from China, and um, I don't think it was ever intentional or super conscious of me, but I think part of, like, my obsession with English and with the language was knowing that, like, I was the person who was the ambassador for English in my family, I guess. Were you sensitive
1: Uh, to your parents, like, making grammatical mistakes as a kid?
0: um, No, I think the kind of obsession with, like, the systems came from them, too, because they pick up languages so quickly. Like my mom spoke Mandarin for her entire life. And then when she met my dad, she learned Cantonese.
1: That's insane. Um, which,
0: which I'm told is a very difficult thing. And she speaks both of them fluently. And then also my parents both speak English very fluently and very well. But I think um, for them, they also pay attention to the rules and the structure and everything really, really minutely and with, with a lot of detail. So I think that kind of rubbed off on me as well.
1: Did you grow up speaking Mandarin at all or Cantonese at all?
0: I grew up with Mandarin in the house. I'm kind of like a bad child because I can understand Mandarin pretty fluently, but I can't speak it that fluently. Like, I can kind of stumble through it, and in the two times I visited China, like, if you drop me into the world, I can get by enough. But I'm not very fluent in speaking it. Can you Uh, read the
1: characters at all? all?
0: No, not at all.
1: It's interesting that you grew up understanding Chinese. Probably maybe when you are a little kid, you spoke some Chinese. Mm and having that language in your ears, because Chinese is like the perfect language for wordplay and for being experimental, especially online, just with homophones and hominins, right. what you can do in Chinese yeah. is magical. <laughs> so I wonder, yeah, exactly. did you learn any Chinese puns growing up?
0: The one that I like that sticks out to me is not something I was told, but it was just something I came up with. When you curse at someone or when you say something like disrespectful, my mom would say ma jin. But the cool thing about Chinese is you can say ma in four different ways. You could say ma, ma, ma and ma. There are different um, the four tones. intonations to it. Yeah. Right. Four tones with four different meanings. If my mom said I was doing like mahin, I was cursing someone, ma means kind of like to curse and zhen means person. So I could take like mah and then I would point at her and say, um, Ni shi which means like you are a mom person. Like if you say <laughs> ma, like ma, it means it means mom. It means ma. And then like the other pun based on that was I was born in the year of the horse, and horse in Chinese is ma. So I would point at her and say like you're the ma, and you're the mom person. And then I'd point at myself and say like washer ma, and. Which means I'm the horse person. That's awesome. <laughs> so that was like the that was like playing with homophones and playing with with tones and stuff. The little routine that you guys would do. <laughs> she's like <laughs> you're,
1: she's like your straight man.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> our, our our own vaudeville act. It's
1: interesting the alien mm. in the book and the typos. You're very careful not to make fun of someone who actually yeah. common mistakes. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. There's a sensitivity there because a lot of people totally. struggle with grammar in that right, way. Right. Yeah.
0: There's a way where language is used as like a as a tool for oppression too, and um, correcting grammar or kind of pointing out someone's inability to speak the language is a way to kind of oppress. It's an oppressive move, and it, it kind of points them out and signals them as like someone who doesn't belong, um, in a bad way. Right? And that was something I've been sensitive to all my life. Even me, me my brother, or other people would like um, kind of point out my parents' like grammar mistakes. Um, I also grew up with a lot of kids who were immigrants. They were people who had learned English as a second language, and I was very sensitive to that. And as an Asian-Canadian trying to, like, be in comedy, I'd also noticed that sometimes, like, my identity precluded what I wanted to do in comedy, where, like, my race was used as the punchline, or I was often asked to do characters with, like, outrageous accents because that would be funny. Um, So I, I was very, like, aware of, like, the use of language and the idea of proper language as this way to point someone out as different. The way I wanted to play with language, it's different than laughing at someone who doesn't have the proper grammar. I wanted to avoid all those tropes. I wanted to avoid ESL, humor, tropes, because those are always laughing at people. And so for me, it was like really based on like understanding the norms of proper English and trying to break those down in um, very intentional ways.
1: So in the book, all of the animals speak this. um, Can I call it just like a human language? Speak this sort of, except for the otter, who speaks in (laughs) in proper English, and also Uh says these sort of like quasi-erudite things about art. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about the choice to make the otter also italicized. I believe the otter is italicized.
0: Yeah, with a different font. Like that, the font of the otter is a serif Times New Roman esque official librarian kind of font. Right. Um, and nothing and
1: might also speak without typos Nothing too. also speaks without typos. So there are two yeah. characters basically that speak without typos. Right. Tell me a little bit about that decision.
0: The otter in the book is sort of like this teacher mentor type character in a way. So by like having the language and the look of that character's voice be different, it sets them a bit apart from the rest of the characters who are trying to like learn and figure out their lives. Um, but at the same time, it creates an intentional distance. It creates the distance I feel between, like, all of my teachers and all my professors. And in the book, too, some of the things that the otter says about art and creativity are meant to be a little bit contentious. There is that intentional distance um, that I wanted to create.
1: Well, I, I thought, too, it was kind of a, a wink at the audience because this otter, in the perfect human language or or whatever perfect English I'll say because it's English in the book Mm. is talking about what is art and it's this sort of nod of like what is art this guy's like art is this formal thing and is art Uh like it's a sort of a wink at like is it really formal who gets to say what is art and who gets to say like how language or how things are spelled
0: that's a really good point the otter is kind of like the gatekeeper in a way
1: writer, Twitter person, rogue speller, and excellent human, Johnny Sun. His book, Everybody's an Alien When You're an Alien Too, is out now. And if you want a little joy injected into your life, pick up this book. I swear you won't regret it. And Sophie, you've actually written an in-depth story looking at Johnny's typos. That's at uh, PRI.org language.
2: Yeah, I've analyzed a few of his tweets and talked a bit more about his grammar with the help of internet linguist and friend of the podcast, Gretchen McCulloch. And Johnny was also kind enough to let us publish a few excerpts of his grammar-breaking rules from his style guide. Again, you can find Sophie's article at pri.org language.
1: Thanks this week to Johnny Sun and Gretchen McCulloch and to Patrick Cox and engineer Tina Toby. And thanks to you, Sophie, for joining me. My pleasure. It was a lot of
2: fun. So you can reach us on Twitter at Lingopod. What's your handle, Sophie? Uh, it is at M P E T I T C H O U. It's like, uh, it's hard to say. <laughs> it was a bad choice <laughs> a long time ago.
1: So at M P E T I C H O U? No, it's
2: it's like short for Mon Petit Shoe, which is a pun for my last name. Uh, so it's M Petit. C-H-O-U, which
1: is your last name. Yes. So please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. It really helps. And as always, thanks so much for listening.
0: Jomini encounters a bear. Wow, you are big, says Jomini, poking the bear. Are you going to run screaming from me then, asks the bear. No, says Jomini, continuing to poke the bear. Oh, thank you, says the bear. Meanwhile, the turtle shouts... Run! Run as fast as you can! Faster! Save yourselves! Leave me behind and save yourselves! As the turtle runs away, already falling behind. Run! R-U-N! Run! Says one particular bee that's um, prone to spelling things.